What a great time uh, of year. Uh, it's official. You can now break out the Christmas tunes and sweaters and, and everything. Not, not that that has kept us, uh, that there is an official time, but it just seems to me like you have to wait until after Thanksgiving. But I know that's the way I grew up. It's the way my mother raised us and that we didn't get the Christmas tree out until after Christmas. How many of y'all though, confession, got your tree out before Thanksgiving? Raise your hand. Wowza. Oh my goodness. There's a lot of you all that are suffering from what's called the Christmas creep. Okay. It's, it's the creep. He's creeped up on you and it's not the big man in the white beard, though that's a creepy, can be a creepy person maybe. Uh, but, uh, this is not that. This is actually a marketing term where, uh, where, where it has a definition that we are in this vortex where the tendency is that the commercial aspects of Christmas appear earlier and earlier every year. That's literally a definition that's been given to the Christmas creep. And you can see it and sense it and hear it and smell it as you go out there. And again, now it's legal now because it's after Thanksgiving, right? So we've kind of moved on to the next season. And so survey says, let's do another little survey, hand survey. How many of y'all on Black Friday, I called it Good Friday uh, for service. So no, no, Black Friday, uh, actually either online or uh, went to the stores in the mayhem, went shopping. Raise your hand. All right. Keep your hand up. Wow. There's not, okay. There's a, there's a good number of you. Keep your hand up. How many of y'all, when you were out shopping for Christmas gifts, you shot, bought something for yourself? All right. Yeah. Put the other hand up. That's right. It's, it's fun to go shopping for yourself, right? And so anyway, so whether you're shopping for other people or not, it is that time of the year. And, uh, whether it's the Christmas creep that slips up on you, we want to be a church that will help you in this Christmas season, uh, to better equip you, to better equip your families. So we got a couple of things. So you might want to make note of this. One is we have a Christmas playlist out there on Spotify and Apple Music. And if you don't already subscribe to this, then you can do it right now. You can just literally text playlist to 97000 and you'll get a reply back and you can enroll in that. It's free. It's just one of those things that's out there. And here's what's cool is that we update that every week and literally the songs that are at the top of the playlist are the songs that we're singing that Sunday. So come Thursday, come Friday, something like that, you can go in and you can make sure it's all fresh and you can actually be worshiping as a family before you come and worship with us on Sunday. So great preparation. Also, maybe an idea on the way to church instead of arguing in the car, uh, instead of that, instead of watching videos in the car, you actually Put on the playlist and listen to it. That's just an idea to help prepare you, get you ready uh, for this for this season. Also, uh, this has been talked about. We're going to keep talking about because it, it literally starts tomorrow. All right, and that's the Advent guys that are out there. So, uh, if you're going to make sure um, that you have the Christ at the center of your Christmas, I really want to encourage you to be in the Word on your own, as a family, as an individual. Uh, so these guides are out there. They're all around. If you see one, grab one. Uh, there's no particular place. They're just all over the place. And so grab one of these and it's written by our staff members for you guys. And it's got information all the way into the new year for our at-home worship guide. So you won't want to miss grabbing one of these. And starting tomorrow, all you need this year is candles. The Advent candles that you know, particular candles, just go to Walmart, buy you some candles and just participate in the Advent uh, observance. Advent means coming. So we're just anticipating and celebrating the coming of our Lord. 
There's stocking stuffer ideas out there. If you want a t-shirt, I didn't grab one last week. They're, they're available. A uh, dollar out of every one of those t-shirts is going to go to help with our Christmas offering this year, which is not a lot towards that t-shirt. We want you to put it on and be praying for what God is, uh, is going to do through our offering this year. Uh, we take it up once a year. It's a one day. Literally, we don't take it up till, till Christmas Eve. Uh, and so it's one of those times where we actually, in this one offering, Bless so many and work in so many different ways. A third of it's going to go to just local Northwest Arkansas. How can we bless and, and, and bring hope and light and peace to Northwest Arkansas uh, folk? And then, and then a third of that will go to our people as we send them around the world uh, on global adventures. We got, gave out over fifty, I think, fifty-six scholarships last year in global adventure scholarships to help our members go around to the nations. And so that's awesome to be able to do that. And then another third of that is going to help buy a school bus, literally for New Day Orphanage in Zambia. This is a, 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 a orphanage that we've been working with since its inception. We built the very first building for them. We built an orphan home for them since then. We bought the, 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 the first and only bus that they've had. It's gone through two engines. The seats are falling out of it. They, it's got over 200,000 kilometers on it. It is incredibly unique used in an incredible blessing to the New Day Orphanage, but it's actually dead, okay? It is dying and needs to be buried. And so we're, hopefully as a church, we bought one in 2011 for them. We want our offering to be such a blessing that we're able to give a portion uh, to, to them to help that, those 45 children, 17 workers who live and work with those children year-round all the time. It, we get to be an extension to them. So think about it as a family. As you're sitting there talking about gifts for each other, just think about what are we as a family going to give to help out in these different causes. And so that's just some ideas, again, to level set. Because this is really what we're trying to do with this is to right-size Christmas, okay? I think Christmas has been wrong-sized for a long time. And I want, I am praying and hoping that through this series of messages, through this season, through your own Advent experience, is that we will fall in wonder with Jesus again. Fall in wonder with him again. I'm afraid we've lost the wonder uh, of Jesus. Now, I'm afraid we have been distracted. Now, we have our Grace Point kids in here today. We have our Grace Point preteens in here today. And so, welcome to the party, okay? This is, a, this is something we do every week. As you're doing your thing, we're doing our thing, but we're doing it together as a family. And so, that's exciting that we get to worship together as a family, just as we should do it in our homes. And we want to challenge each of us, whether your parents or your kids today. Let me talk to each of you. Because you each have a role to play. And let me say to the kids, if you'll give me the next 25 minutes shorter than Girls Meets World episode or Good Luck Charlie episode, uh, is I will be finished in that amount of time and hopefully it will be richer than, than, than some sitcom show that you might watch. But fall in, in wonder with Jesus again. Here's the challenge for us. Parents, we need to steer the wonder of our children. Okay? It's on us. It's not on the world. Clearly, the world has its own agenda. The schools have their own agenda. The secular media has its own agenda. The marketing people have their own agenda. And it's typically not to steer the wonder of the children to Jesus. It's to steer it back to its products and the shelves and the trees and the, and, and the gifts. And so we need to steer it away from the gifts to the gift. 
and figure out the difference between the two, helping our kids all along the way. Uh, this is what Paul Tripp said in a, uh, in a devotional that I'm reading through this uh, Christmas season. It says, in a culture that uses this season to get children to dream about how their lives would be made better by possessing a certain material thing, where Christmas has been reduced to a shopper's nightmare and a retailer's dream, it is a vital to, to draw the wonder of our children away from the next great toy toward the wonder of the coming of the great Lord and Savior Jesus. That's on us, parents. We get to steer the wonder. Where we put the emphasis, guess what? They're going to have the emphasis. So think about it like that. Proverbs 22, 5 says in the message, it says, point your kids in the right direction. And there, when they're old, they won't be lost. So parents, it's on us. So let's own our role in this. Kids, you have a part to play in this. So listen up. If you're in that, I'm still on payroll, parent payroll, this applies to you. All right? Kids, we need to restore the wonder in our parents for Christmas. We need to restore the wonder. I'm afraid it's been lost or detoured or just faded over time. Give it 25 years of one Christmas after another or 35 or 45 or 55 years. However old your parents are, they've been celebrating Christmas in some form or fashion for a number of years. And after time, unless we've done what we need to do to keep it fresh, to keep it real, to keep that wonder there, we lose the wonder of the season. Come back to Paul Tripp again. He said this, when we are familiar with things, we tend not to celebrate them as we once did. Familiarity tends to rob us of wonder. And here's what's important about this. What has captured the wonder of our hearts will control the way we live. Would you read that last statement, that italic statement out loud with me? What has captured the wonder of our hearts will control the way we live. What is it that has captured you? What is it that stirs you? What is it that drives you, motivates you, keeps you going? We need to restore. Kids, you need to help us restore the wonder Parents, we need to steer the wonder of our children back to Christ. So we're going to be taking a journey through Matthew, and really just the first couple of chapters of Matthew, and through Luke, just the first couple of chapters of Luke, over the next five gatherings together. That even includes Christmas Eve night. So in the next five gatherings, including today, we're going to look at a diverse group of people. We're going to look at men. We're going to look at women. We're going to look at young. We're going to look at old. We're going to look at one ethnic group. We're going to look at a different ethnic group. We're going to look at wealthy people. We're going to look at not so wealthy people. We're going to see all the various sundries and diversities of people out there. And this is what we're going to learn. In one common statement, there is going to be every one of them will experience the truth of Christmas. That truth of Christmas will lead them into wonder that wonder will lead them into worship. The end game of this is that we will have a deeper appreciation and love and devotion for Christ and who He is and all that He is. I'm afraid that we have failed to worship. We got to call this a worship service, but we have failed to worship when 
we've stopped wondering. Wondering about who He is. Wondering about the great gift that He is. When we've lost the wonder, we lose the worship. So I want us to go back, revisit stories of old, and let us restore and let us steer the wonder that needs to turn our hearts that will control the way we live. So let's look at Matthew. Matthew's today. Well, the first person we're going to look at is the stepdaddy of Jesus. And it is the stepdaddy of Jesus. He's not the blood, of, blood, uh, blood daddy of Jesus, the biological father of Jesus. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. And so blended families, guess what? The first Christmas story has a blended family in there, it, mixed in here. So, um, and, and again, you'll understand that a little bit more as we dive into this. But so we have the story of Joseph. We'll call him Joe from time to time. So the story of Joseph is uh, is a story that he doesn't get a lot of playtime. In fact, you don't get much beyond Joseph and raising of his boy, Jesus, and the sons that follow, and the children that follow. You don't get much into that. Actually, when Jesus is in adulthood, J- Joseph is never mentioned. It's believed by many scholars that Joseph probably died uh, in, in life, probably through circumstances or just, the, again, the, the brevity of life in that age and medicines and lack of thereof, that he probably passed away at some point. But at the beginning, he is a major player in the story, even though it's not his biological son. It, what has happened here is, and the story is, is there's this engagement that has taken place between a lady named Mary, a young teenage girl named Mary, and a probably a couple of years older man named Joseph. It's not called engagement in the Bible. It's called a betrothal, okay? We don't use betrothal. We, don't, we use engagement. But there was a difference because in a betrothal period, it was a time when a, 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 it's as binding and as legal of a commitment as a marriage without all the benefits, Okay? So it was one of those that it wasn't friends with benefits. It was literally one of those things that you could not be together, but hey, you're committed to each other. Why the waiting period? Could be up to 12 months. The waiting period was because there was a bride price involved. There was a price that had to be paid for the bride. I know that's old, archaic, and it doesn't fit into our Western world. Nowhere in the Western world do I, do I know where that practice is still being done. But you go to, you go to Africa, throughout Africa, from south to north, to west, to east, you'll find it practiced. I just got back from South Asia where it's still practiced to this day, where actually the bride pays for the groom. Get that, okay? And the bride prays for the groom. What will they get? I asked the, asked the, the national that I was with. He said the, the, the bride's parents, or excuse me, the groom's parents may want a, a bed. They may want chairs. They may want furniture. But in Africa, it's kind of like it was in the Bible times. And it is you paid for the bride. You go, to, uh, you go to Zambia where we used to live and there was the labola. The labola is what they call the bride price and you negotiate the bride price. Whatever you think the bride's worth, then uh, the parent sets that price and it could be a couple of chickens to a couple of cows. It could be any number of things. And so, uh, but you literally paid for the bride uh, at, that, at, at, at that point. Same process is happening here. There's the betrothal period. You got to understand that because when we get into that, it will make sense. Friendship without benefits, okay? No relationships, nothing happening between the two. They're completely separate from each other. They're dating, waiting for the bride price to be paid. And then the second phase of a Hebrew marriage was the actual marriage 
feast. It was the actual consummation of the marriage. It happened after the bride price was made. And you read John chapter 2, you'll find a story of Jesus and his miracle of ministry uh, where he literally, you see a marriage feast happening in the Hebrew culture. So that's a great example of that. It's believed to be, if you were with us during the Song of Solomon study, it's believed to be that the Song of Solomon was read or sang during the seven-day period. And that would make sense. It would be that long to read through the Song of Solomon. But that's what would happen. Where we enter into this story, I had to give you all that backstory. We enter into this story, we're entering in to the betrothal period. There's not a marriage. It's not been consummated. They are separate. Let's jump in. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It starts with the genealogies. Now, you will thank me for not reading all the genealogies. But I'll read the first verse. The book of genealogies, in the book of genealogies of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now here's something really key. We can trace the lineage of Jesus all the way back to Abraham. If you go to to Genesis chapter 12 in your own time, you'll read where God promised years, thousands of years prior to Jesus ever coming to this earth, thousands of years that through the line of Abraham, he would bless all the nations of the earth. Who is he referring to? Abraham himself? No, he's referring to his descendant. His descendant who? His descendant named Jesus who would be born in that line. And then you go to verse 16. And Jacob, the father, and it literally just gives off to the lineage of all the way through the line there. And then Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. So they're already considered husband and wife to whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. All right. Now go down to verse, uh, verse, uh, 16. That was verse 16, excuse me. Now go down to verse 18. And now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. Now he's going to tell us exactly how it takes place. When the mother of Mary had been betrothed, not married, not together, not intimate, to Joseph before they came together, all right? She was found to be with child. Stop reading. Enter into the tension of the moment. Mary calls Joseph over to her house for a meeting because Mary has just had a visitation from God and she's now had the seed of God put into her womb. And now what happens is she has to have the set down with Joseph of which they've not had relations and she's going to have to tell him this news. Hey, Joe. I got news. And she's excited and she's nervous. She's excited because she's just been told by God that she's bearing the child, the the very son of God inside of her womb. And we'll talk about that next week. But she's nervous because she doesn't know how Joe's going to respond. So she literally drops the bomb like this. Now, can you imagine being in this room? Maybe some of y'all have experienced this. Joe, I've got some news. I'm pregnant. Joe will not hear anything else after that. All he's going to hear is he's going to put the math together. He's going to figure it out. It's not my kid. Whose kid is it? And then she can keep on going. You don't believe it? An angel came to me and told me I was pregnant and all this kind of stuff. And he's going, yeah, right. I've heard that story before. Never heard that story before. Or or it's like, what are you thinking? You know, do you think I'm going to believe that? No, that's ever happened before. He's literally living in the tension of what are you thinking? What has happened here? You have betrayed me. You have broken trust. We were committed. I didn't think you were 
going to do that. Live in that tension for a moment because our brains can think faster than words can come out of somebody else's mouth. So he's already got into the tension of this. Now look at verse 19. He says, And her husband Joseph, again, they're married without togetherness, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. Now he's a good man. He's a just man. He's a kind man. He doesn't want to shame her publicly. But he has resolved he's going to divorce her. And then it goes on to say this, but as he considered these things, I really believe he went to bed night after night for several nights, I don't know how long, and he literally was consumed by the thought, I trusted her, I believed her, I kept myself, she didn't keep herself, she didn't keep her promise, I kept my promise. What's going on here? She's got this weird out story of an angel coming making giving her a seed of god how, 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 do, how do i reconcile all this you see the tension that she's going through and he's considering this he's literally going to sleep at night thinking about this now let's skip down to verse 20 but as he considered these things behold an angel of the lord appeared to him in a dream saying joseph son of david do not fear to take mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the holy spirit she will bear a son and you shall call his name jesus and he will save his people from his sins and and all this took place to fulfill that the lord had spoken to the prophet this has been talked about hundreds of years ago In the prophet Isaiah, 400 years prior to this, this is what was recorded. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. Now just hold on just a cotton picking minute. He went to bed that night thinking about it, planning the divorce, going to do it in a non-shameful way. He's not going to shame her publicly, but he had resolved this is what he was going to do. He goes to bed and he wakes up the next day and then what's his response? He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. There's something that happened and you know what that happened is an angel showed up and said, hey, this is a good thing. This is God being in, inserted into the story of mankind. This is something that you, you, you want to be a part of. And so he literally changes the course of his life in the matter of one encounter with a divine voice, with a heavenly voice. And I wonder sometimes, how willing are we to adjust our lives to God's plan. How willing are we to get off of our agenda and onto God's agenda? Because you know that that Joseph is still going to have to go with this child and go with this person and live out the lives and live out the rumors of of being married but not being married and the fear and the anxiety of all that. But the anxiety turns to wonder. And when wonder steps into the play, worship follows up. Worship is followed up by obedience. I'm willing to do what you're calling me to do, God. I'm willing to to give up my plans and my agenda. In Luke 2.33, it literally says that his father and his mother, that's Jesus' father and mother, marveled at what was said about him. It's one wonder experience after another as he's entering into this. And this is what happens is there's a life principle for you. Wonder of God leads us to willful obedience of God. 
wonder of God leads to a willful obedience to God. That means, God, I'm going to get on your plan. I don't want to understand it. I don't fully, I'm not fully jiving with it. But if you're saying this is what needs to happen, I'm going to be willing to step in line with you. When you encounter God in all the wonder of who He is, you fall in wonder with Jesus again. And when you do, His plan is something you're willing to do. Taylor, one of our pastors, sent me this quote this past week. He said, the mind captured by the wonder of God has no room for anything else. The mind captured by the wonder of God is your mind captured by Him. I want to challenge us in this story that we just read here. I want to challenge us by, I think there's three wonder-filled motivations toward obedience. Because again, this is not something we like to do. We like to be in charge, like call our own shots, make our own plans, set our own five-year agenda. We like to do that. But if we, want, we, if we can embrace the fact and we can fall in wonder with Jesus again and fall in wonder with Him again to the point of worship and fall in wonder with Him again that leads to worship, that leads to obedience to Him, then we get to experience Him where He literally changes our lives. And what was it in the story from the message from the angel in the middle of the night that moved Him from this direction to this direction? Jot it down. Number one is when God is beyond us. When we realize that's the wonder of it all. When we realize that God is beyond us, but yet He comes to us. The God of the universe, listen, Christmas demonstrates for us that God will go out of His way to come to us. He will defy the realm of possibility to be with us. And will break the rules of nature to show his love for us. When God was born of flesh, he went out of his way, my friends. That was not a beautiful journey. When you're in perfection, when you're in beauty, when you're in holiness and everything's in order and he enters into flesh, he enters into this broken world, that is going out of the way for us. He defied the realm of possibility when he's the God of earth and outer space, when he's the God above time and and, and everything and he puts on time, he puts on flesh and he dwells among us. And when God broke the rules of nature whenever he was born, listen, to an unmarried, peasant, oppressed, virgin, teenage girl. He did the miraculous. Verse 18. I didn't finish reading this whenever I was reading through it earlier. To be with a child from the Holy Spirit. To be found with a child from God Himself. When you go down to verse 23, it says again, And the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. How is it that a virgin can conceive and bear a son outside of a miraculous intervention with God, where God enters into the scene? I, the closest thing I can compare it to is a divine in vitro fertilization where God puts his seed into the womb of a woman. And that's why it's so unbelievable. That's why so many people have to get off the train right now of following Jesus. God, I just can't get it. I don't get it. That's right. I don't get it either, but I can't deny it. Matthew records it. Luke records it three times. It is a message that is clear. Yet today we laugh at people who are virgins. We call it puritanical. 
when somebody says, I'm going to keep myself holy and set apart. We look at that as Victorian, something that belongs to the age of Victorian lace and high button dresses. But yet it's something that is beautiful in this age of sexual freedom and the following after our animalistic attractions. We need to realize that God has a beautiful plan and it's a gift that you give away once. And she was holding it back for her husband, Joseph. But what is so important about this, the virgin birth is an absolute necessity for the sinlessness of a Savior to be born. How is that? Because when man and woman come together since Adam and Eve, every time man and woman has come together, every time a child has been birthed, every time, guess what? Those little, beautiful, cuddly, smell-nice, soft-skinned babies are truly hedonistic suckers in a package. And they're going to grow up and they're going to be selfish. And you won't even have to train them to be selfish. It just comes naturally. Uh, it just comes out of them. It's why David said in Psalm 51.5, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. See, David knew that from birth he had a brokenness inside of him that was going to be transferred to his children, Solomon, be transferred to his children, Rehoboam. And we see the selfishness that comes from one generation into the next generation. So how do you break the cycle? you got to have a virgin birth. you got to have a seed of, a man, of mankind, which is humankind, which is a woman. And you have to have the sinless seed of God coming together. And as they come together, what happens? Why do you have to have that? Because Romans 5, 12 tells us that just as sin came into this world through one man, death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. But when Jesus came into this world, it is way beyond us. But the God who was beyond us came to us. And that is the wonder of Christmas. Will you fall in wonder with Jesus again. Number two, second motivating thing that this angel said to, to, to Joseph that turned him, turned him, is that God is not only beyond us, but God is for us. He's for us. He's in our corner. He's, he's looking out for us. And, and when he's for us, he's fighting for us. I love Romans 8. Read Romans 8 when it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? We are guaranteed to be on a winning side. Romans 8.31 to be exact, look it up. God is for us in his life. He's for us. But here's the thing. We've got to understand it. It's a cute, cuddly baby came meek and mild, lying in a swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. But it was for the bad news that he came, not the good news. The bad news. I'm sorry, I don't normally do this. I've got to do this. I want to read a quote to you from Paul Tripp again. It's longer than normal, but the words will appear up on the, I think you'll understand why. It says, the birth of Jesus was bad news. It wasn't just your typical piece of bad news. It was the worst news ever. God has to invade our world in the person of Jesus because there was simply no other way. Why was there no other way? Prepare for the bad news. There was no other way because our big problem in life is not familiar, historical, societal, or political, or relational, or ecclesiastical, or financial. Our biggest, darkest thing that all of us have to face 
and that somehow, some way influences everything we think, say, and do isn't outside of us. It's inside. It's inside. If you had none of the above problems, you would still be in grave danger because of the danger you are to yourself. If the only human being needed was a little external tweaking of their life circumstances and then the coming of Jesus to earth wouldn't have make, make any sense at all. But if the greatest danger to all of us is in, lives inside of us and not outside of us, then the radical intervention of the incarnation of Jesus in is our only hope. Jesus didn't come to earth to do a preaching tour or to hang out with us a while. He came as a radical mission of a moral rescue. He came to rescue us because he knew that we couldn't rescue ourselves. He knew that sin separates us from God and leaves us guilty before Him. That is a long quote, but I think it's so succinct to say that, listen, we need to know that God is for us and that He came for us. He came to rescue us. Verse 21, he tells him in no uncertain words, Joseph, the son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for she's conceived of a, uh, of a son. She will call his, uh, for she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He tells us the the who, you're going to call his name Jesus. You're going to tell him the why. Why is he coming? He's coming to save his people from their sins. And what I love in the gender reveal, and we do that nowadays, in the gender reveal or the name reveal in verse 25, it says that Joseph called him Jesus. Joseph named him. Because on that night, he knew who Jesus was. You know what Jesus means, by the way? Salvation. Jesus is our only salvation. He is the one who came to rescue us. He is the one who came to save us from the problem that is inside of us. See, we all must wake up one day and realize as we look in the mirror that we have seen the enemy and the enemy is me. And until we come to that resolve and that reality, we'll be blaming my mama because she put my diapers on too tight when I was a kid, and so therefore I am am wounded. It's my boss. My boss doesn't love and appreciate me. Uh, I'm not appreciated on the job. I'm not fairly compensated. That's why my life is so so bad. That's why I have to do this or do that to, to make bring joy to my life. No, no, no. The problem is not on the outside. The problem is on the inside. And Jesus came to rescue us from ourselves. That's why it says in Luke 19.10 that Jesus is the Son of Man and He came to seek and to save those who are lost. Those who are outside of God. Those who are still lost in themselves. That's why in Acts 4.12 it says that there is salvation in no other name, no one else. For there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. It is in the name of Jesus, the power of His name. Will you fall in wonder with Jesus again? Thirdly, 
Third motivation I think just stirred in Joseph as he's encountering this angel is the reality that God is in us. God's never going to leave us. You enter into a relationship with Jesus, with God through Jesus Christ, He will never leave you. When you look at the book of Matthew and you look at the life of Joseph, I said you're going to get a very small glimpse, very short window of time that we even see Matthew on the scene. Listen to this. Every time you prove me wrong, you do your own study, prove me wrong. Every time you see Matthew mentioning Joseph, what's he doing? He is adjusting his life to obey what God has just told him. Every time. Real quickly. You can jot them down. Matthew chapter 2, verse 19 and 21. It's whenever he appears to him a third time. And an angel, angel tells him, it's okay now, you can go back to Israel, that your threat for Jesus' life is no longer there. Second time it happens is in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 14. It's when Jesus, listen to this, becomes a refugee becomes a refugee and has to move, his parents have to move him as a child, as an infant in the middle of the night. You read the story for yourself. He has to move in the middle of the night and has to go to the border of Egypt. Thank God there wasn't a wall. Thank God he didn't have to crawl under. Thank God he didn't have to crawl over. Thank God he was a place to go and of safety that he could go to. Listen, our church has been an advocate for refugees because the son of God was a refugee. We cannot ignore the, that, that fact. And let me just say this just as a pivot point here. That last two Christmas offerings, we have helped out and we have, you've given generously and we have been able to target and to follow the money each and every time to Athens, Greece, where we have been working. And we've sent this past year 43 different people from our church to Athens to work among, commissioned them out of our church to work among the refugees there. What's been really cool? is we provided housing for every one of those people on that screen through this past year. That is worthy of a round of applause, a praise to God, so go ahead and give it right now. Hate to prompt you on that. 25 families, 46 different people. You look up there, they're from Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Gaza, all the war-torn areas of the world that they're running literally for their life. Let me tell you the story of just one of them. The lady that I'm going to call Martha. It's not her name, but I'm going to call her that. And we met her last March, and she told us her story as she had to leave Iran, where she was living. She was married to a, a, a Muslim. She was a Muslim. Uh, she became a follower of Christ. One of the greatest movements of God right now in the world that's happening is happening in the nation of Iran. I cannot explain it to you. It's where God is moving in. And she becomes a follower of Jesus. Well, she was given absolutely nothing but kicked out of the house. And all the laws point back to if you convert from Muslim, Islam to, to Christianity, then you become an outcast of society and everything and all your rights are voided. And she had nothing and she had no leg to stand on. She was kicked out with only the clothes on her back. She had to make her way from where? From Iran through Iraq, another unfriendly to Christian nation. Through where? Syria another unchristian, unfriendly Christian nation. Through where? To Turkey. Turkey is the highest density of Islamic people than any other nation in the world. She had to make her way through there, to make her way to a Greek island, to make her way to Athens, to make her way to the AMC. 
to encounter some of our people there, to, to encounter some of them and to be able to share her faith and to face trauma healing groups. And I just want to say this, guys and gals, these are real people. Every one of those names on that screen are real people with real stories that God is redeeming and we get to be a part of it. And she, hers is just one of them. Listen, I love it that every time you see Joseph, he is responding with a hearty yes to Jesus. And then the time that we're reading today is in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 and verse 23, when he literally is told that, listen, you need to go and take Mary to be your wife. And in verse 23, he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That God is with us. He will never leave us. He will, he, he will, he may go away. Let us fall in wonder with Jesus again that it may capture our hearts that we're willing to say, yes, God, I'm willing to get on your plan and your agenda. Whatever you're asking, I'm willing to adjust my life as Joseph did when he was going this way and he turns and he goes this way. I love it. The fact that we have the love language of Jesus and what is it? It is obedience. God loves it when we obey Him. In John chapter 14, verse 23, and I close with this verse, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. God is with us. And in John 15, the very next chapter, he talks about how we abide in him and he abides in us as we walk with him. Will you fall in wonder with Jesus again? I close with a story that happened in my life recently. When I'm a planner, I like to plan out. I like to plan ahead. I've got five-year plans for my five-year plans. And I'm looking out and I have this plan out there. And then... Through an encounter with God in the Scriptures, He challenges me to take a different path. And again, if you're a planner, you don't like that. But if you know who's making the plan, you want to lean in and listen. So I just kept reading. And then I kept listening for promptings. And then I I listened to some godly people in my life as they were speaking. And it was just like one thing after another after another kept pointing in this direction. And then it was like, okay, I think I'm going to make the change. And so I adjusted my life. I moved in a different direction, took the direction I felt like God was leading. And I can tell you right now, I am standing here today not perfect in any way, but thanking God that He moved in this direction and didn't go my five-year plan. I'm glad that he altered me over here. And the only reason that happens is because I still have a wonder of Jesus. And I know that if he's got a plan, it's far better than my plan. And I want to stay with his plan. Where are you at today? Are you on your plan or his plan? Will you fall in wonder with Jesus again? Bow your heads with me.
Father, don't let us miss you today. May you stir in us. May you move in us. May you prompt us through your word. May you give us a vision. May you make a little prompting of what somebody says to us be truth in us that, Lord, we listen to your spirit and we, and we say yes, just as Joseph did. May we live in wonder of you that stirs us to worship you, that moves us to walk with you. Because, God, you're beyond us, but you came to us. Because, God, that you are here to rescue us, save us from ourselves. Because, God, you promised you would never leave us. And the closer we walk with you, the closer you walk with us. So, God, just speak to us in these moments clearly. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us?